Well, on a, on a more serious note, most of you are probably familiar with the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. If you've been around Grace for any amount of time, you've heard about those resolutions of this great 18th century pastor, theologian, and philosopher of the New England colonies. So in December 1722, just over three centuries ago, at the tender age of 19, Edwards put quill to paper, and he wrote 40 resolutions by year's end during that month. And he continued to write about 30 more in the following year in 1723, and he brought the total to 70. And he wrote his final resolution on August 17, 1723. As far as we know, he never picked up his quill again to write any more resolutions. There's various reasons maybe for that, but we won't go into that speculation. But just prior to writing these resolutions, he had completed his graduate work at Yale University in May of 1722, and so now he's seeking to enter public ministry, just as his father, Timothy Edwards, has done, and, and just as his grandfather, Solomon Stoddard, had done. And in fact, he served under his grandfather prior to becoming the sole pastor of Northampton Church in New England. So he came from a legacy of, of pastors and preachers. I do want to quote one particular resolution that is pertinent to our topic today that he wrote in, on July 8th, 1723. It's resolution number 55. And he wrote this. He wrote, Resolved to endeavor to my utmost to act as I can think I should do if I had already seen the happiness of heaven and hell's torments. Let me rephrase that a little bit. He basically said, I want to act in such a way that the future has influenced my thinking now, the future glories of heaven and the torments of hell, as if I had actually seen those things. I want my thinking and my life, my living, to be influenced in such a way that I act in light of those truths of the future. We know that the Apostle Paul was given a vision of heaven, which many things he was not allowed to speak of. We also know another apostolic writer, who had visions given to him in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. Tom asked me this morning if I got signed off, is it okay if, Brad, was, was he okay if I preached from Revelation? And yes, I did get the sign off. And I know Pastor John has been preaching through Revelation. But you know, they're all the way back at the front of the book. You know, Brad's in chapters two and three covering the, the seven letters to the seven churches it's going to be some time before they get to the end of Revelation, so I don't feel so bad about preaching from Revelation this morning. But we're going to begin at the end. We're going to begin this new year, this first Sunday here in Commissioned. We are going to go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. We're going to be looking at the first eight verses, which contains the vision that John saw of the new creation. The title of this sermon is taken directly from verse 5. Behold, I am making all things new. 
pray with me as we commit our time here to our Heavenly Father. Lord God Almighty, we bow before you, recognizing your almighty power and divine sovereignty over all events of human history from beginning to end. We recognize your power and sovereignty over every minute detail of our lives. We wonder in awe at what Christ has accomplished for us. And we sing praises to him for that. We sing praises to you for your plan. Lord, we we give thanks. And Lord, we we often think of the future and, and we look towards what is maybe over the horizon. But help us to even to look to the end now so that it would be an encouragement to us because life is challenging and difficult for us. But we have everything that we need in Christ. But we are waiting for the fullness of our salvation, Lord. So help us to gain a a vision like the vision John saw. Not that you would reveal anything new to us, but in your word, help us to visualize and understand and, and comprehend to some degree what the future is for us. I pray this in your name. Amen. So our text this morning, Revelation 1, or 21, verses 1 through 8. So please follow along as I read here. This is John speaking now. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Back in chapter 20 of Revelation, John is given a vision of the second coming of Christ. And Christ comes, he returns to establish his thousand-year reign over the earth with his saints. And Satan is bound in the abyss during this thousand years. Now, what we are looking forward to next is the taking up of the church, the rapture of the church, to go home to be with the Lord, which sets in motion then seven years 
of tribulation upon this earth where God judges this earth and he calls Israel back to himself and saves them. At the end of that seven years, there's going to be a separation, the sheep and the goats. And the sheep will enter into his millennial kingdom and we will return with Christ and he will set up that thousand-year reign. And chapter 20 describes that thousand-year reign. At the end of that thousand years, Satan is released from his prison for a short time so that he can deceive the nations into gathering together to make war against Christ. Yet fire devours all of Christ's enemies, and the devil is thrown into the lake of fire where he will be tormented day and night along with the beast and the false prophet. Then heaven and earth are destroyed. If you look back at chapter 20, verse 11, heaven and earth, they fled away and no place was found for them. And all that remains is this great white throne before which the dead are brought and judged according to their deeds. Chapter 20 ends with these two verses, verses 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is all that exists at that time, this great throne, the dead before God Almighty before Jesus Christ. They are all condemned to hell. And not just hell, the lake of fire, to be specific, where they will spend eternity. It's impossible to imagine a more frightening scene than that in all of Scripture. Every unbeliever, resurrected, judged, and thrown into the lake of fire as I mentioned, it's a place of torment, day and night, never-ending, before a righteous God. A God who will be present only to curse them, never to bless them, with no relief from guilt, no relief from the punishment for their sins before a holy God. And so we say then, what remains? After this, what then? We often talk about the eternal state, but this seems very ambiguous to us, and we kind of conflate all of our thoughts of heaven together. If I were to ask you, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about heaven? I'm sure there's some various responses, but many may, may say, the streets of gold. Well, is that in heaven? Or is that part of something else? We're going to take a closer look here. Just as the first two chapters of the Bible, God creates and there is no sin until chapter 3, sin enters the world. And all the way through Revelation 19, 20, sin is a part of all of that time. But then sin is done away with. Death is done away with. 
Hades is done away with, all thrown into the lake of fire. So what is left? I'm here to tell you, chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation, where sin is once again gone. And God boldly proclaims, Behold, I am making all things new. I look forward to the return of Christ for his church. I look forward to him judging the earth and bringing Israel back to himself. I look forward to being glorified and joining Jesus Christ here on this earth as he reigns righteously for a thousand years. But then what? Then what? Again, chapters 21 and 22, where he makes all things new. So during our remaining time together, I want you to see clearly what awaits you as a child of God beyond even the millennial kingdom so that you can rejoice in your future right now, today, in this very moment, as Jonathan Edwards desired to do, that the future glories of heaven and the torments of hell would influence how you think and how you live now. Right now, we have the Father has demonstrated his great love upon us and he's bestowed upon us salvation. But our salvation is not complete. We await that time when we are glorified. And we need to immerse ourselves in his promises about that future. It is a glorious future. Very short, two chapters. But from those two chapters talk about how things will be for all of eternity. All of eternity. And John is also reminded of the final condemnation that is given to the unrighteous at the end of these eight verses. Talks about those who will be excluded from these heavenly blessings. So first of all, we're going to examine the new creation. Four points this morning. The new creation will be our first point, verses 1 to 2. Verses 3 and 4 will be the angelic proclamation. So we have the new creation, the angelic proclamation. Then we have, in verses 5 through 7, the Father's declaration. And finally, the sinner's condemnation in verse 8. The new creation, the angelic proclamation, the Father's declaration, and the sinner's condemnation. You know, what a joy and what a privilege it is to have these divinely revealed prophecies written down for us, for our encouragement. We have this book that was given to John, the final apostle, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just imagine being John. If there is someone that I would, if you said to me, who would you want to be in Scripture? I would want to be the Apostle John, the disciple who Jesus loved, the disciple who leaned back on his Savior, 
during the Last Supper. But the disciple also, later in his life, was given this immense privilege to see the risen, exalted, glorified Christ and his reaction as anyone would do whenever they face the presence of God, fell down like a dead man because of the glory that he saw. The Jesus Christ risen and exalted. What a privilege. And then he's given all of these visions. They are quite overwhelming to him, as we shall see. But we know how it ends. All this nonsense about global warming, climate change. We need to leave this planet because we're destroying it, so we need to go to Mars and beyond to other solar systems. Right? We've got to find some way. What nonsense. That's not the way it ends. We are given the words that tell us exactly how it ends. We know exactly how it ends. And these two chapters, I believe, have been really neglected in the church. As I was seeking to find maybe some songs or hymns that would coalesce with this passage and these two chapters, how many of you know of any songs about the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem? There's some songs out there that, like I said, kind of conflate maybe what's going to happen in the millennial kingdom and what happens in heaven during the tribulation and what may happen in the eternal state. But it's really challenging to find any songs. But this is our future. If you're a songwriter, I challenge you, write some songs, some hymns about these two chapters. But we know how it ends. Tears may last for a night. The dawn is coming. The king is coming. And when all is said and done, the old will be done away with. And the new will be so spectacular that it's beyond our ability to even conceive or imagine. What John saw was amazing. So let's take a look here at the new creation. In verses 1 to 2, let me read those verses again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. This is not a metaphor. This is what John saw. And John begins that way. He says, then I saw, which serves as a grammatical indicator repeated starting back in chapter 19 to connect all of these verses together with that broader context. In fact, verses 1 through 8 of Revelation 21 contain the eighth and final scene of the seven bowl, seventh bowl judgment. You recall there was a scroll taken by the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 5 that was sealed with seven seals. And he was found to be the only one worthy to open the scroll and to break those seals. And one by one, beginning in chapter 6, 
he begins to break those seals. And those seals contain seven judgments that would be unleashed on the earth in chapters 6 and 7. Finally, when the seventh seal is opened in Revelation 8, verse 1, it opens seven trumpets of additional judgment that are unleashed in chapters 8 through 11. I don't have time to go through all of these seals and trumpets. And then the seventh trumpet is sounded by the seventh angel in Revelation eleven fifteen, And seven further bold judgments come out of that final trumpet. And they are poured out one by one over the earth by the seven angels, beginning in chapter 16. So seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. All the judgment that takes place during the tribulation period upon this earth. And after the seventh and final bowl is poured out on the earth in Revelation 16, 17, we have some chapters that describe the fall of Babylon in great detail. And after that, there's a series of eight events that are connected together in succession by John when he writes, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw, and I saw. Eight of those scenes beginning in Revelation 19.11. The seventh scene of those eight is what I've read already. The dead, death itself, and Hades being thrown into the lake of fire. And the eighth and final scene of the seventh bowl is found in our text today when John says one more time, and I saw. Revelation 21, 1 through 8, which described the new creation. And you say, well, how does that fit with all of these judgments? As I already mentioned, there's a condemnation that comes in verse 8. And this is describing what those who are condemned will fail to realize their part is in the lake of fire. But in contrast to that is the new creation. They have no part in the new creation. They are consigned to the lake of fire. And so it is described as a contrast to the lake of fire. The old fallen creation all of it, the evil, the sin, it's excluded from the new creation. It is eliminated. It is destroyed. Because the new creation will contain no hint of evil, no hint of sin, no punishment, and most of all, no more death. It'll be gone it will be a thing of the past. It will all be new. Everything that we see here on this earth, everything in the sky, everything in the heavens, to the farthest reaches of outer space will pass away. It's all been affected by sin. It cannot remain even during Jesus' millennial kingdom, that is not the final, that is not the eternal state because sin will still exist during that time. Even though the curse is removed, sin and sinners 
will still exist. But all of it will pass away. Not a molecule of this present fallen universe will remain after the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. And after the judgment of the dead, we're thrown into the lake of fire. And as I read a short while ago in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 20, even death itself and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. Nothing that enters that lake will ever depart from it. Nothing. And in sharp contrast to that, John sees something new. Not just something new, everything new. Everything holy. Just as God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1 and 2, he uncreates them all in Revelation 20. And he creates a completely new heaven and new earth. This is a real place. It has dimensions. It has space. I have no idea what kind of reality that will be, but it will be a reality nonetheless. Again, verse 1 reads, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Then he adds this short phrase, and there is no longer any sea. Why, John? Why? Why is there no longer any sea in the new heaven and the new earth? At the present time, on our planet, water covers about 70% of the earth's surface. The new earth will have no seas. It will be completely different. And you wonder why. Why no seas? I mean, we love to go to the beach and see the ocean and listen to the mighty roar of the waves. But guess what? The oceans are extremely hostile to humanity. You cannot exist on the ocean without some sort of vessel. It will destroy you. And the seas are often seen as a representation of evil in Scripture. Not that the sea itself is evil, but what it can represent. The sea is not a permanent dwelling place for humans. It's unpredictable. It's dangerous. Its violent waves can not only drown us, but capsize a ship of any size at any moment and send that ship to the dark and frigid depths, often never to be seen again. And as I said, the seas in Scripture are often used as a representation of evil. So rather than this vast ocean, oceans, plural, that are tempestuous and hostile, John is given a vision of the river of life. There will be water, but it will be very different. And that is described in Revelation 22. I encourage you to read both Revelation 21 and 22 and meditate on these truths. But that river of life provides nourishment to the tree of life. And we will have access 
to that, not hostile to us, but no longer any sea. <coughs> different, different existence, but a real existence. Then in verse 2, John is introduced to the New Jerusalem. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. The city is the centerpiece of the new creation on the new earth. And it's going to be described in detail in verses 10 through 27. As I mentioned, there are dimensions. An angel measures it 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Can't even fathom a city that size or that high. It's a new existence for us. Will there be streets of gold there? Well, apparently so. But there will be much, much more than that. The primary and fundamental quality of this city is holiness. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, not the old Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And no one who had ever been, had been thrown into the lake of fire will ever enter into it. Again, take a look at verse 8. It's a city prepared for those clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone. God's people will enjoy its splendor. And John compares its beauty to that of a pure and chaste bride prepared for her husband. I remember when I was about to get married to see my, my bride for the first time walking down the aisle. Didn't know if I was going to just collapse or what. But what a beautiful thing. This is what the New Jerusalem is prepared for us. You know, Christ was rejected by the inhabitants of the old Jerusalem. He suffered the cruel death of crucifixion outside the walls, outside the walls of that old city. At the time of the writing of Revelation, Jerusalem had been sitting in ruins for about 25 years. The temple had been destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. Modern-day Jerusalem still contains the Temple Mount. A new temple will be built upon it someday to be used and inhabited by Christ during his millennial reign of a thousand years when he will sit on David's throne and rule righteously over the earth. But even as glorious as that reign will be, that city is still part of the old created order. And it too will cease to exist. In Revelation 20, verse 11, which I've alluded to already, John writes, Then I saw the great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. They are gone. Don't tie yourself to this old earth. It will be gone. All of it. 
will be gone. Verse 1, as we've said, describes the cosmos as having passed away. It's gone. But in the new creation, there's a new Jerusalem. And the very throne of God the Father will be at its center. And He Himself will illuminate streets with His very presence, eliminating the need for the sun. Mind-blowing. No more sun isn't necessary. It's gone. The Father Himself will light the new creation, the new Jerusalem. So what is the primary blessing of this new creation with the new Jerusalem and the throne of God at its center? Verses 3 and 4, our second points, provide the answer to that question. Verses 3 and 4, the angelic proclamation. Verses 3 and 4, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. This loud voice does not appear to be from God himself, even though it emanates from his throne. It appears to come from one of the mighty angels that stands before the throne of God. This proclamation is about him who sits on the throne, not spoken directly by him. All of us at one time or another wonder in our hearts, where is God? Maybe you've been through difficulties, tragedies. You're going through a trial right now. And sometimes as fallen creatures, even though we are children of the king, we wonder, where is God? God, where are you? Why don't I feel your presence? God, why is it so dark? God, why can't I get out of this hole? Brothers and sisters, in the new Jerusalem, where we will dwell for all of eternity, you won't ever have to ask that question again. Ever. God will be there. You will be there in His presence. The angel proclaims in a loud voice, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. We will dwell with Christ in the millennial kingdom. But now, in the new creation, God the Father dwells with redeemed humanity. No restrictions. No separation. There's no holy of holies that has a restricted entrance to one man, the high priest alone, one time a year. Yes, we have access to the throne of God through Jesus Christ now, but we will have access to his immediate presence in our own presence in this new creation. Is this not what we long for? This is what we long for. Yet we neglect to focus on these chapters. The angel is so explicit that no misunderstanding is possible. 
Sin no longer separates us from a holy and righteous God. He himself will dwell among us, those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. There will be no need to turn away in fear from the blinding light of his glory because there will be no sin remaining in us. Nothing that would say, out, leave, you cannot be in my presence. Now we will be welcomed because God comes down to us, God the Father. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation. Only pure and undefiled worship in his presence forever and ever and ever. Amen? And alongside the promise of his never-ending presence here in verse four, or in verse three, we have this also this promise in verse four. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. The old created order, tainted with sin, gone. And this is an individual promise. Not just to brothers and sisters. Brother, sister, God himself will comfort you. He will wipe away every tear. Death is to be remembered no more. Death has already been thrown into the lake of fire. Death will not be welcome anywhere in the new creation. Because there is an absence of death, no tears of mourning, no crying from loss, no pain of any kind. It will not exist any longer. Those things are the result of sin. And sin is part of the first things. The old creation, the fallen under, fallen order under the first Adam. Every fallen element of the old order will be, have passed away. So child of God, be encouraged. This world is not the end. We won't destroy it. Jesus Christ will judge it. And God himself will eliminate it all in the end. This world will pass away. It's suffering, heartache, loneliness, fear, anxiety, pain, and death. It's only temporary. It's only temporary. In light of eternity in the new creation, this old created order is just a blip, just a puff of smoke, just a short moment. Have patience. Endure. As Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians 3, Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is coming for us. And we have this future to look forward to. Well, something extraordinary happens now after this angelic proclamation. God himself speaks. Let's take a look here at our third point in verses 5 through 7. The Father's Declaration. Verses 5 through 7. The Father's Declaration. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these things are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son from the very mouth of God the Father. The last explicit statement from God the Father in this book was all the way back in Revelation 1, verse 8. We have no explicit statement of the Father speaking all the way from that point up until this point. And back in that chapter 1, verse 8, he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now he speaks, and he says, Behold, I'm making all things new. (coughs) Pay attention. I, the Creator, the one who's destroyed the old order, I've created the new order. It's pure. It's righteous. It's holy. It's beautiful. And it is a place where I myself will dwell with man. God summarizes really the entirety of John's vision of the new heaven and new earth when he says, Behold, I make all things new. And it appears John is so overwhelmed, he hears the very voice of the Father that that he probably drops his reed and papyrus and awe and wonder. And he has to be reminded, and it appears that the angel speaks to him here, Write, for these things, these words are faithful and true. Now, I know you may, some of you have a capital he there, but it's probably better that it's not capitalized and it's the angel speaking to him. Because John is just so overwhelmed and he has to be reminded, don't stop writing. Keep writing. Because these words are faithful and true. You're hearing the very voice of God and every word that comes from him is faithful and true. Everything that John sees, God is verifying. This will happen. God continues to speak in verse 6. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. A repetition from chapter 1, verse 8. The beginning and the end. It is done is probably better translated, they are done. It's a plural. And refers back to the all things that he is making new. The new, it's all completed and ready. And it's all for you. All has been accomplished. It is done. Just like Christ on the cross, it is finished. Salvation is procured. Now it's, it is done. They are done. All things, the new things are ready, completed for you. All these promises will be fulfilled. God himself is the first, the last, beginning, the end. No one comes before him. No one will come after him. In chapter 22, verse 13, these same words are spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, equal, co-equal with the Father. 
His words are a description of deity and shared by no other living creature. God alone possesses these qualities. And they are followed by another promise from the Father here in 21 verse 6. I, this is the Father speaking, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Thirst is often a metaphor in Scripture that represents our profound spiritual need as sinners for salvation. It represents a dependence on something outside of us. We are dependent on water. We are dependent on God for salvation. We will continue to be dependent upon Him even in the new creation. And He gives freely this water. No cost to us. Without cost. The price has been paid. There's one final promise given by the Father in verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What a promise. What a promise. You know, when these prophecies were given in the first century, from then until now and at some point in the future when these will be fulfilled, the promise stands. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. The inheritance is for the overcomer, the one who endures through persecution, the one who has faith in the promises of God, be the one who inherits them all. The father closes his word with a promise to be the God of the overcomer and the overcomer will be his son. Now, you would think that verse 7 would end this declaration from God. But as I remind you, there is verse 8. To name those who are excluded from the new creation. Those who have already been thrown into the lake of fire. Which leads us here to our final point in verse 8. The sinner's condemnation. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters of all, and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So in stark contrast to the promises given to the people of God, the Father speaks a final word of condemnation to sinners of every kind. These words come from his own mouth and demonstrate his supreme authority and emphasize the finality of a sinner's destination by a divine judge. The sentence is final. There are no appeals. Every person described by these words will experience the lake of fire, everlasting torment, pain and suffering, which God himself describes as the second death, a conscious, eternal death where the pain never ends, the suffering never ends. There's no blessing, only curses. Paul describes the unrighteous in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, where he says, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
a list of sinners there. But he ends with verse 11. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Amen? Amen. So, have you been washed? Have you been sanctified? Have you been justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because only those who have will partake of the new creation. And for those of us who know Christ, meditate on these truths. Don't buy the lies that we are is thrown at us day after day in this existence, tying us, trying to keep us here to worry about the things of this earth, the things of the here and now. We have these promises for our future. And God has promised, behold, I am making all things new. Well, if you would just bow your heads and and I'm just going to read from Revelation 22, verses 10 through 21. So bow your heads and just listen prayerfully and give consideration to these things. Revelation 22, 10 through 21, the final words of Revelation. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.